Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ian. Today, we finish our study through the subject of typology, as framed by the concept of increasing our portrait of Jesus through an examination of Old Testament types as referenced in the Gospels and Paul's New Testament letters. We'll basically attempt today to walk through the whole book of Hebrews as we examine the author's purpose in revealing Jesus to be of greater worth than the best of the best throughout God's redemptive history of the Israelites. Thanks for listening today as we conclude with the proclamation in harmony with the angelic hosts that alone Jesus is worthy. Occasionally I'll get a uh, unction in my spirit that um, my wife could use some encouragement in the middle of her day. She's a kindergarten teacher and I think I'd take up drinking, honestly, if that were my job. But it's just something that I would think I would not be good at, let me say that. And so every now and then she um, just runs into a, a difficult day. And this, uh, this past week, um, I thought in, in kind of a rush that I would stop by the, the Edelweiss coffee shop just across from Walmart, if you kind of know where that little coffee shop is, and get her one of these mixed frozen mocha frappuccino drinks, you know, it usually picks her day up. Sometimes it's the little things, guys. You listening, right? It's the little things. <laughs> so as I'm, as I'm driving up, I see they got a line of cars on the one side, but not on the other window. So I, I'm going to sneak around and drive up. But right as I'm pulling up, this Tahoe flies in front of me, right in front of me and, and pulls up. Now, my Christian spirit was peace and loving kindness. <laughs> Is what I want to say. I was actually curious how close you can inch to another person's bumper without being, <laughs> getting in trouble. And as I'm watching, kind of impatiently tapping on the steering wheel, watching the light turn yellow to green to yellow to green, um, I see her start to uh, say number one, number two. She's got a whole list of orders. I mean, she's going to get a whole box of drinks. So I'm looking at this situation thinking, you know what, this, this just ain't worth it. I'm in a rush as it is, and I look to, you know, back out of my spot, and I look in my rearview mirror, and a car pulls up behind me. Isn't God good? <laughs> just to continue to allow our, our flesh to die. Um, in, in, in so many ways, I feel like the call of patience is one that needs to be better embraced by the Christian. Because, the, listen, the world that you and I live in is not one that yields to the love and will of God. It's opposed to God, which means you will receive suffering and persecution. And it's, it's going to mean at some point in your life, you're going to look and say, look, is this, is this whole life really worth it? Is suffering for Jesus really worth it? church at 9 a.m. and then they got Bible studies and then they got, I mean, I just, uh, I just don't think it's really worth it. And you will be tempted to say, you know what, I'd rather than wait for the glories of heaven, I'd rather indulge in what I can have right now. This, this is a mentality that's really woven through our culture in a very rich world that we live in, an American type of a culture. Instant gratification and entitlement is something you carry whether you know it or not. And that's the challenge for the believer. Is it worth it? Is it worth the wait? Is it worth the sacrifice and the suffering? Imagine if I said to you, we got this great brunch next Sunday, right? It's going to be Mother's Day, this great brunch. And if I said, um, you're going to have to wait till the sermon's over to get to brunch. Who's on board with that? Everybody okay with that? 
Now, you got to raise your hand in church now. Y'all work? Okay. Now, what if I told you that in order to eat brunch, you were actually going to have to go over to the community center? We weren't going to have it here. Who would still go? Okay. Uh, what if I told you instead of having it at the community center, we are going to have it at Sawyer Lake? Who's still going to go? All right. What if I told you instead of Sawyer Lake, it was going to be in Marquette? Who's still going to go? All right. A few hands. I'll keep going until there's no... What if it was in the middle of Canada? Who's still going to go? <laughs> Terry, we got our work cut out for us, pal. People are coming to this brunch. See, here's, here's what's likely to happen. At some point, the cost is going to be more than you're going to be willing to pay. At some point, it's going to be... You, you, oh, community center, yeah, I'll walk over there to get brunch if that's what it's going to take. But Sawyer Lake, you know what? My house is closer. And... I love everyone at church, but I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to go. Marquette, are you kidding me? Who, who made that decision? No, of course we're not going to go. At some point, you're going to say, the things that I desire are more valuable than the sacrifice I would have to make. My, my own comfort, my own plans, sticking according to what I thought the day was going to look like. I'd rather do it my way than have to sacrifice because it's just more than I really care to give. But what if I changed the question? What if instead of it being brunch, what if I told you it was a cure for the disease of your loved one? What if I told you all you had to do was drive up to Sawyer Lake? You, you would go. Or what if I told you it was in the middle of Canada? Would you go? You would still go because here is the solution to the loves of our own flesh. It's a greater love. The solution to you and I not being willing to sacrifice is actually having something greater than our own comforts. You need to have a greater love than whatever it might be that's causing you to say, you know what, this just ain't worth it. We're going to be concluding our series this morning on typology. And what I'd like to do is focus us upon a, a a book of the Bible that deals most extensively with example after example after example of a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament making comparisons. And as we do, we're going to be challenging ourselves really to ask the question, is Jesus worth it? Is he worth suffering for? Is he worth losing your family over? Is he worth losing your career or changing jobs for? Is it... Is Jesus worth your struggle against sin? Is Jesus worthy of you loving your enemies? Is Jesus worth you getting up early, serving beyond your comfort, or to stand and to even give a witness for the gospel? Is he worth it to you? Or do you have some inclined, inherent kind of personal love or desire to say, you know what, I, I, was, I, was, I was with you up till this far, but now it's just more than I care to give. I, I just am not convinced. Because the answer for you and I to be able to live beyond our own desires and comforts is to have a love greater than our own desire and comforts. And that's to see Jesus as worthy. That's what we're going to look at. And it's really through the whole book of Hebrews. We're, we're, I'm going to do my best to move through it as quickly as possible. But we will ultimately rest in Hebrews chapter 10. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you, just to frame this up a little bit, I'm reminded of the story of uh, Dr. Helen Rosevere, who was a missionary to um, the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. 
Um, as she went there as a missionary called as a doctor to love upon the people who were there, they were going through um, a, a, a rebel war that was ravaging uh, their villages and, and calling out their young people and destroying uh, their culture and, and those who were living in that region. She was uh, pale-skinned, right? She was from Great Britain, um, and they, they didn't even know how to pronounce her name. They called her uh, Mamaluka, which meant like the chief doctor. That was what they called her. And she left all the comforts of England to go and live in the bugs and in the mosquito land to love on these people who were just rebellious against God. Uh, the people that she was called uh, to minister to wanted very little to do with her message. They were fine with her medical care, but they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And so Mama Luca, she, faked, she faced threats on her life, illness, uh, even death. As she was growing up, she was raised as a good uh, pragmatist in England to always ask the question, is it worth it? Right? Is whatever I'm going to spend my time, my money, my energy on, is it really worth the sacrifice? And after 12 years of serving in the Congo, one very dark night, the rebellion hit her village. And the soldiers that she had already treated, those that she was called to love, they broke into her home and they attacked and they beat her. The ones that she spent her life to give the message of Jesus Christ to unmercifully beat her and those around her and being pale skinned they mistreated her worse than others as she was trying to help those who were with her recognizing this they bound her and they took her outside and they raped her and there in the darkness of that night like the chill of the breath of the devil the thought kept going through her mind is this worth it is this really worth it Now think with what you and I face, the challenges that we have, having to ask that same question. How much am I willing to really give until I say, you know what, church is too early, it's too long, there's too many events, I'm just not willing. It's just not worth it. Our answer needs to be found in seeing Jesus as greater and seeing Jesus as worthy. And this is why we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. 1873. 1873 in the Pew Bibles. I've entitled this message, Jesus the Better Prophet, Priest, and King. And as we are going to uh, look through a journey of the various types that are given of uh, comparison to Jesus in the book of Hebrews, I got to begin with maybe another illustration of when I was in fourth grade, because when I was in fourth grade, there was one kid in my class who at recess, if you were on his kickball team, you would win for sure. His name was Johnny. You always wanted to be on Johnny's kickball team. Now, you could pick any of the other kids, but as long as Johnny was on your team, you were going to win. So I thought I'd just ask you, if you could pick any Old Testament person to be on your team, who would you pick? Shout out some names. Who would you have? Moses. Mo- Moses. Okay. Moses is taken. Someone else. <laughs> David. All right. Paul. Paul. Paul's New Testament. Yeah. Daniel. All right. Yeah. Our, oh, good one. I heard Esther in the back. Now, here's the deal. You can have all those people on your team, and I'm going to have Jesus. <laughs> Who's going to win? Yeah, here's the message. This is just a summary of what we're going to look at. Jesus is more worthy. Jesus is greater than all of the others. 
This is what the writer of the book of Hebrews is tr- going to try to communicate to us. And so um, that's where I, uh, I want to take us. Uh, if, you, if you can go to chapter 1. I don't know if you're in chapter 1. We're eventually going to be in chapter 10. I would encourage you, though, th- th- this might be helpful for you to f- just follow along. If you have your own Bible, even if you have a pew Bible, underline some of these verses we're going to look at. Because the writer of the book of Hebrews needs to communicate to a church who is asking the question, look, is this worth it? The church that he's writing to is being persecuted. They are suffering. There are some people who are um, losing their lives for their faith. And so the whole letter here that we have in our Bibles called Hebrews is all predicated to encourage you to say, yes, you can continue to walk this path. Don't give up because Jesus is more worthy. He is higher and greater than all of these others. So that, that, that's the theme. Everybody got your bearing? Say amen, amen if you're good. Amen. We're good. Okay. So here we go in uh, chapter 1, right at the beginning. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the exact is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So, He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to the, theirs. First observation I want you to see is that Jesus is greater than angels. This is, this is a big deal for uh, the people of that time. When they were to understand the greatest messenger of God, to bring his message, well, the angels are the ones who communicate to God's people. And through the prophets, we have the law that was given. This law given by angels, the writer of Hebrews is going to say, was binding. But we have been given a greater message through Jesus. If you, if you should have listened to the one through angels, what do you think about the one given by Jesus? You should probably listen to that one as well. Because the answer is, Jesus is greater than the angels. The second thing that the writer here is going to show us is that he's greater than Moses. If you go to chapter 3, just turn ahead a little bit in your Bibles. Chapter 3, starting at the beginning of that chapter, he writes, Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Oh, wait a minute now. If you were a Jewish person listening to that, you'd say, you're seriously? When you think of the greatest prophet who has ever been as a Jewish person, it's who? It's Moses. Moses was our guy. Moses was the main one that we look to as our prophet. And you're telling me that Jesus is more worthy than Moses? That's absolutely uh, the message that he's conveying here. Next, if you go uh, um, uh, next to the next chapter, chapter 4, we see that Jesus is greater than Joshua. In verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, It still remains that some will enter that rest 
And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, was said, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Did did Joshua get the job done as he should? No, he did, because there was another. There was another day to be spoken of. Jesus is greater than Joshua. And you, again, as a Jewish person, you say, now, time out. You're talking about Joshua? Joshua, he's my man. That's the courageous conqueror who went into the land when nobody else would. They look at Joshua to be, he, he was fearless. He was a leader. And you're trying to tell me that Jesus is greater and more worthy than Joshua? Absolutely. That's the point. The, the next couple I'm going to put up here on the screen all together because all three of these next ones, Abraham, Levi, and Aaron, they all revolve around identifying Jesus within a particular typology of a righteous king named Melchizedek. Now, don't ask me to spell Melchizedek. I, 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 I'm going to fail you there. But you'll find it in your Bibles in chapter 5, 6, and 7. So if you turn to chapter 7 with me, I, I want to walk through how our writer helps us to see that Jesus is greater than Abraham, Jesus is greater than Levi, Jesus is greater than Aaron. Chapter 7. And, and so, you know, Melchizedek is... Uh, It's a name of two Hebrew words put together. Melech, which means king, and Zadok, which means righteous. So uh, Melchizedek is the king of righteousness, or this righteous king. When we read about his story, um, dealing with Abraham in the book of Genesis, we actually find out he doesn't have any parents. Melchizedek has no beginning or end. He's a really mysterious character in the Old Testament. And the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is just like him. The priesthood of Melchizedek that Abraham made his offering to is just like Jesus, which proves to us that Abraham isn't actually as great as Jesus because Abraham here submitted to the leadership of Melchizedek and Jesus is of Melchizedek. That's the, that's the theme. If I, if I lost you, just pretend like you know what's going on because we'll, we'll get there. All right, Ch- chapter seven. Don't let me lose you here. Chapter seven. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. What do you call a tenth? It's like a tithe, yeah. And so here you have Abraham submitting in worship to God through the priest Melchizedek. That's the picture of what's going on here. All right, so let's let's continue. Uh, Verse 2, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father... Or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think of how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. If Jesus is just like Melchizedek, then Jesus is greater than Abraham. Now, how do you think the Jews are going to like hearing that, right? Because what was Abraham to them? We sing a song, right? How's it go? That's right. Father Abraham. We won't sing the whole thing. Uh, Father Abraham, right? That's our picture. He's, he's our father. You're trying to tell me Jesus is greater than Abraham? 
Exactly. You, you got it. Let's move on to Levi. Go to the next verse. Verse 5. Now the law requires that the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from all the people. So, uh, boy, I could spend a lot of time on this. If you, if you go back and look to the 12 tribes of Israel, you will see that Levi is set apart to be the tribe that belongs to the priesthood. So if you were born of Levi, you were born into the task of serving in the tabernacle as one who would intercede on behalf of the people. That, that was the picture of the Levites. So with that in mind, let's go back again to verse 5, if you have a little bit of the background. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though they're brothers and are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi. So again... If Jesus is of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek doesn't come from Levi, Jesus is greater than Levi. Continuing in verse 6, Yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be the living. Is Jesus dead? He is not. He is alive. Jesus is greater than Levi. Verse 9, one might even say that Levi, who collected the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. You've got to come to Bible study and ask me to explain that some more. Because there's a lot going on there. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic uh, understanding. But just see this. The writer is trying to get the people to, to see Jesus is greater. Now, uh, Moses had a brother, his name was Aaron, and Aaron was the one who served kind of as the intermediary, as a priest for the people. And here we're going to find out that Jesus is greater than Aaron as well. Look in verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of the law was given to the people, why is there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Jesus is greater than Aaron. Now, there's a lot going on in Hebrews. I'll grant you that. But how, how are we doing on this? Is everybody understanding the message? How repeatedly, again and again and again and again, the writer of the book of Hebrews takes somebody who they love and say, this is the man. Like, I got Moses in my deck of trading cards. And do you have any Abrahams? Yeah, I, got, I mean, that, these were the guys. And he says, I got one that's greater than all of them. His name is Jesus. Let's continue a little bit further. Uh, the next one is that Jesus is actually greater than the high priest. If you turn with me uh, to chapter 7 and uh, verse 26. Watch this. In verse 26, such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to have, offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins. And then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect. What's it say? Forever. So which high priest you want on your team? Oh, say it loud. What high priest you want on your team? Jesus is the one that we want, right? Because Jesus is greater than the high priest. After this, we find that Jesus is greater than the old covenant. Uh, for this one, if you go back in chapter 7, just to verse 22, and then we're going to go to chapter 8. Chapter 7, verse 22 says, Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. 
uh, again, the Jews hearing this are going to think, now pump the brakes here. You're, you can't just get rid of the, the covenant of God. You're trying to tell me there's a better covenant? Go to chapter 8. Flip, flip, flip the page over to chapter 8. Look at verse 13. And really, it's, honestly, it's all of chapter 8. You could just simply read all chapter 8, but I'll just point you to verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Uh, anybody in here have a flip phone? Be honest now, you're in church. Yeah, that's right. Flip phone. I saw it, Quint, right? Yeah. Now, for the rest of us, when we upgraded our phones, what did you do with the old one? You, know, you, you, you didn't keep it in the next pocket, right? You, you didn't hold on to it. And you're, you're charging the old one. When you get the upgraded one that is more worthy, more greater, more better, the old one becomes obsolete. So, so we should bow and pray for those who have old phones. <laughs> it's an illustration simply to point the fact to us that that which is obsolete, that which is no longer needed, it, it actually goes in the trash can. It's no longer needed anymore. It's, as the writer here says, it is obsolete, aging, and will soon disappear. Jesus is greater than the old covenant. In fact, we will celebrate here momentarily that Jesus says there's a new covenant that's found through his what? Through his blood. He has given us something greater than the old. All right, two more. Jesus is greater than the tabernacle. If you go to chapter 9, look with me in verse 11. Chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. Jesus is greater than the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a, a traveling temple of sorts. It was a tent that they would set up as the Israelites would travel wherever they went. And it was the place where you would go to meet with God. Jesus doesn't enter through the old tabernacle. He goes through his, through his body as a sacrifice. Not having to make sacrifice for himself. Because Jesus is greater than the tabernacle. Alright, one last one. Jesus is greater than the sacrifices. If you look with me in chapter 10... In verse 10, and see, we made it. We made it all the way to chapter, uh, chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of his body, of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus is greater than the angels, than Moses and Joshua. Through the line of Melchizedek, he's greater than Abraham, Levi and Aaron. He's greater than the high priest and the old covenant. He's greater than the tabernacle. He's greater than the sacrifices. He's greater than all. There's this passage in the book of Revelation where the the writer John, he sees a vision of heaven. And there's an angel who asks the question with the, the scroll that only the worthy one is able to break and to open. The question is, who is worthy? Who is worthy to unroll the scroll? That which would endow the recipient with all glory and all honor and all power. Who is worthy? And the, the, the text says 
that John begins to weep. He begins to cry because nobody's worthy. There's no one that he can see anywhere that is worthy to untie the scroll. And the angel says, look, behold the lamb. He is worthy. This is the message. A message to a church that is suffering. A message to a church that is undergoing persecution. And everywhere that you and I have been for the past six weeks has been an effort that we would increase our understanding of Jesus. We have looked at a lot of examples, none of which who were persons, except the sign of Jonah. Do you remember that one when we studied that? But we looked at Jesus as the lamb. We looked at Jesus as the cornerstone. We looked at all of these types that speak to who Jesus is. And the entire goal behind all of this is that you and I would see him as worthy. And now we reach here, this final message in our series. Repeatedly through the book of Hebrews, Jesus is shown to be worthy. Jesus is raised from the dead and he's on the road. And there's disciples moping and, and weeping about because they think their Messiah is gone. And Jesus comes behind them. And it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them all that was written about himself. If you've ever wondered, what is the purpose of the Old Testament? It is to give us the picture of Jesus as worthy of greater than all of these. This is what we have been studying. That we together would come to the conclusion that as we look to the risen Jesus Christ, we believe he is worthy. Touch your neighbor. Say he's worthy. That's right. He is worthy. Now, this was my whole introduction of my sermon. Now we can actually get into the text. You ready? Let's go. Hebrews 11. Because now we get to the conclusion of this. What do we do with this fact? What do we do with the truth that Jesus is worthy? Hebrews chapter 11. Look with me in verse 19. I'm going to read through it and give us four quick observations. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us, through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great high priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground, in a great contest, contest in the face of suffering, sometimes you were, you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. 
You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. I want you to notice something uh, at the very end here when, when he, he's giving this warning of what is said, right? That if you continue, uh, that, uh, the, that you will live by faith. But if you shrink back, God will not be pleased with you. But he said, that's not us, right? We are not those who shrink back. What did he say in verse 39? We, we're not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who... Now, I would have expected him to say, those who press on, those who really fight hard and work hard. But he doesn't say that. This is a crucial point that you understand this. Your ability to persevere through the sufferings of this life, to carry the name of Jesus at all costs, isn't because you're something, but because he is. You believe that he is worthy. That's what it means here. He says, we believe. What is it we believe? We believe that he is worthy. And so for that, I just have four quick conclusions. They fall in two categories. Uh, The first two are in a turning away from sin. And the second two are in an encouraging of the saints and a building up of the church. So the first, um, if you go back into chapter 10, he he says this phrase a couple of times. It shows up five times, but the last two are kind of together. Let us. Did you you catch that? He, He says it a few times here. The first one is in verse 22. Let us draw near to God. So that's the first one. What should I do because I believe Jesus is worthy? Draw near to him. Now, if, you, if you're in sin, or let's say, you've, um, let's say you did something you shouldn't have done behind someone's back. You, you, you were lying, gossiping, you stole from somebody. Are you excited to go be around them? Not usually, no. Um, th- this is the same picture and the problem you have with God. Um, if you're guilty of sin this morning, everybody nod your head like this. If, you, if you're guilty of sin, that means you will have the tendency to say, I, I don't want to get too close to God. I don't want to get too close to him. Hold on a minute. Time out. Jesus being worthy has made a way for you to approach him. And if he's worthy, then what? Let us draw near to God. The second one that he says is let us hold fast. This was in verse 23. Um, other versions say hold fast. Uh, My NIV version here says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope. And this is how you continue to reject sin today. When you have opportunity to sin within your heart or against your neighbor with word and deed, against God, you need to remember, no, I believe that Jesus is worthy. And he has called me both to draw near and hold fast to the hope that we have so that I can put sin behind me. I don't have to yield to it. I can yield instead to him who is worthy. Now, if if you're good with that, the second two now speak to what we do until he returns. Because he is coming again. But what should we do, do until that time? The next let us says in verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 
When I was in high school, I played uh, in a couple of sports, but I played uh, basketball. And one of the things that you'd find by the time you get to the fourth quarter, if the game was hard, this is what a lot of us look like when there was a foul, right? This, you, you do one of these, whoo, right? You kind of take a breather, but um, that's not going to be helpful for the team. So what do we say to somebody who's looking like they're a little low? What do we say? Keep going. Come on, don't give up. Let's go. Get up. Come on, keep going. Don't quit. Folks, this is what you must, this is what we must be encouraging each other towards. Come on, you, we, ain't, we ain't honest in church. We're, we're not honest with one another. You, we, it's easy to come here and be, oh, good morning, good morning. So, I mean, this is what we play, church, but if we're honest, you and I, if we could show on a, like, written with ink on our t-shirt the sins and the struggles that we have, do you know how we ought to respond to one another? Look, don't quit trying. Don't give up. There, there is a world out there that needs to know the love of God. Get up. Don't quit. Keep trying. Jesus is standing in victory for you. Don't give up. It is worth it. He is worthy. Let us spur one another on. And then the last letter says, let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. This is in verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. You and I, we have to understand that our world and our flesh is going to cause you to say, it's, it's just not worth it anymore. It's just not worth it. Don't give up, church. Persevere. I want to leave you with this testimony. The living creatures and the elders fell down and they sang a new song. They said, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And with a loud voice, they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped.